If you've got your Bibles, I ask you to open them to 1 Samuel chapter 2 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to spend a little time there this morning. I want to talk, I know many of the students in that human video left the room, but are there any high school, junior high students left in the room? Let me see your hands. Where am I? A little higher. I know you're shy. Any? Any? Where are my high school, junior high students? Okay. All right. This message may be uh, appropriate for you especially. I was thinking a lot about the students in our church when I was going through this message, and here's why. Uh, some of you know my story, but some of you may not, and the fact that I grew up in the church, or as I sometimes say, I definitely got older in the church. I hope I grew up as well, um, but I, I was raised in many ways in the church, not just the church, but particularly this church. It's always a hard question for me to answer when someone says, well, how long have you been at Mount Hope? And I never quite know how to answer that question. Uh, sometimes I know that they mean, well, how long have you been uh, the senior pastor at Mount Hope? And that's an easy question for me to answer and, and say eight years. But, uh, but then sometimes I'll say, well, I've been on staff at Mount Hope really for like 18 years. Um, and so maybe that's the answer to the question. Um, but I've really been working at Mount Hope. I started working at Mount Hope when I was like in high school. So really it's like 20, 23, 24 years, whatever that is. Um, but then maybe the right answer to the question, how long have you been at Mount Hope for me, is when I first stepped through the doors, it wasn't even this building, we were meeting in Lexington um, before we moved here to Burlington, and it was uh, 30, over 30 years ago uh, that I've been at Mount Hope, and that I grew up, and when I, I remember uh, when I was eight years old, being in a Royal Rangers meeting. And having the leader of that Royal Ranger meeting one night explain the gospel and ask at the end of his explanation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, explain what it meant, explain what it meant to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I remember him asking at the end of that meeting, we're all standing in line there and asking, if you want to do this, if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, then step forward. And I remember stepping forward in the front of that line. And at eight years old, saying, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I also remember not too many months after that, doing it again. Um, and uh, being around a campfire and them asking the same question. And me raising my hand again and saying, yes, I want to make Jesus. How many times I got to do this? And just, just, but I didn't know what I was doing. I'd say any time they'd ask, yes, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And uh, making those commitments and growing up through the church. I remember moving to this building. I remember praying at this altar on Sunday nights when we had Sunday night services. Uh, I remember uh, sitting in a seat uh, somewhere over there uh, when God called me to ministry. It wasn't in these nice comfortable seats. It was in some uh, beautiful burnt orange seats with no padding. And some of you that have been here a while may remember those. Um, but I remember sitting there and it, service hadn't even started yet. And, um, and I was just sitting there and I was sitting beside my Bible quiz coach actually. I was in Bible quiz and, and just said, uh, you know, Ray, I think God's calling me to full-time ministry. And I didn't, had no idea what that meant at that moment. And Ray literally jumped up out of his chair. And I was like, well, sit down. You know, what are you, I don't know what you're doing, you know. But uh, I remember that moment when God called me to minister. I remember being baptized in the Holy Spirit at a youth convention. Uh, and, and experiencing that life of the Holy Spirit within me as well. I remember 
other things as well. I remember uh, showing up to service and not always wanting to sit in the uncomfortable burnt orange no padding chairs. So some Sundays my friend Sean and I would, um, would, but we'd have to hear the service, right? Because afterwards your parents would ask, you know, what was the service about, right? So uh, we would, we found it more comfortable to sit in the baptismal and um, listen to the service there. Uh, I have since, when I became a pastor, put a lock on the baptismal <laughs> door. So don't get any ideas. Uh, sitting in, I know all the tricks. I've done those. I was there. Uh, I remember uh, showing up late for Sunday school one uh, Sunday morning. We were late. Sean and I were late. And so we thought, well, we'll stop and pick up donuts on the way. Because we're late, we'll bring kind of a peace offering. I remember coming up the front steps of the steps here and Pastor Harvey Meppelink, who was the pastor at the time, seeing us come up with donuts. And he showed up in his voice that sounds like God and said, boys, if you've got time to stop for donuts, you can show up to church on time. Took the donuts and sent us down to class. And uh, I later found out he kind of enjoyed that and, and enjoyed the donuts as well. Remember the things we'd try and do, uh, the games that we would play in this building when I was part of a youth group that I have since instructed uh, uh, youth pastors at Mount Hope that I, uh, will I don't ever want to see you playing these games that we would play because I know what kids would do when we play those games, when we'd hide in this building all over the place and with the lights off. And somehow some youth leader thought that was a good idea. Let's let teenagers hide with the lights off. We don't do that anymore. We don't play those games. But I remember growing up in the church. I've always been around the church. Can't say there haven't been times where I have struggled in my walk with God, where I have questioned, where I have gone through a time where I had to make what is my parents or older people in this church's faith my own faith. Times where I had to go through my questioning and say, God, is this real or is it just what I have been taught? I think every child at one point or another comes through those times and those moments. You have to come to a place where you say, is this my faith or is it just what my parents have taught me? It's perhaps why when we come to this story this morning in 1 Samuel that it disturbs me the way it does. Not just when I was preparing to preach it this morning, but the many times that I've read through Scripture, the many times that I've read through 1 Samuel, every time I come to the passage we're going to read this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 2, it disturbs me. It bothers me. It, it, I come, we come to this story and I read it and I wonder about my own faith and my own life and about what's going on because this story is about two boys who grew up around the things of God. And, uh, and two boys who grew up always being around the things of God, but ended up making some, to say the least, pretty poor decisions. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. They were the sons of Eli, who was serving at the, as the priest at Shiloh, where the temple of God was at the time. And I'm going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 2. I don't have all the verses on the screen for you this morning. This is a story. I just want you to hear it and listen as I read. Uh, I'm going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 12. I'm going to jump down to verse 22. Uh, and we're going to jump around a little bit and then get to chapter 3 a little bit later uh, in a few minutes. But 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 12 
says this, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. Chapter 2, verse 17 says this, This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. For they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. I'm going to jump down to verse 22. And it says, Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. This passage in 1 Samuel chapter 2, maybe you can see and understand why it disturbs me such. Because here are two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, who grew up around the things of God. Here are two uh, men at the time that we meet them who spent all of their lives around the temple of God. I meet many people uh, that say, oh, it must be so great to be around the church all the time. It must be so great to, you know, you, you work in the church and you're around the church. That must be so, it's like idyllic, right? You don't have any problems and you just come to church singing and, and everyone's, you know, it's just wonderful. Or even going to a Bible college, you know, some, I have many people that would, would think and say, wow, Bible college, it must be like a permanent Bible study. You're just studying God's word all the time. And, and yet Bible college and the church, what I find sometimes can be an easy place to fall away from God. Not because of what's going on there, but because of, I think, what happened maybe to Hophni and Phinehas. We become too familiar with the holy. We become too familiar with the things of God and we know all about the things of God without ever knowing God himself. And I think that's what happened to Hophni and Phinehas. That they knew all about the things of God. They knew all the regulations of the temple. They knew all the laws. They could do it in their sleep. But they never knew God. And so here's these two men raised in the temple with all the opportunities you could ever possibly want, with all the opportunities to hear about God, to know God, and yet they, in the first couple words that I read, it says they were wicked men. 
And just being in the church doesn't guarantee that you're going to follow Jesus. I remember saying to my son just recently, it no more makes you that than going to McDonald's makes you a chicken nugget. And he really, he understood that. He was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and it's true. Just being in the church doesn't make you a follower of Christ. Just because your father, your mother, your grandmother follows Jesus doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. And here's Hophni and Phinehas. And their father, Eli, has served at the priest of the temple. And here's these men who are wicked men. They're abusing their position to satisfy their own hunger in what I call the original potluck. Literally, they would take this fork and plunge it into the pot of meat and whatever came out, they would eat. And it says that was their custom, but it is not the custom that God laid out. Yes, God had provided for the priest and part of the sacrifice would go to provide for the priest, but this was not how they were supposed to get it. But they were taking it to a whole new level. They said, you know what? We don't like boiled meat. We're not into fondue. We want, we want, we want, we want roasted meat. We like barbecue better. So they said they would go to the people that were bringing their meat to sacrifice and they would say, we want, give us the meat now. In fact, give us, you know, give us the best portions of it. And they, the, the worshiper would say, no, let, let the fat be burned up because the fat was that rich part that protected the vital organs. It was supposed to be offered unto God as the best part of the meat. And they said, no, we want that for us. We're going to take for ourselves what would normally be offered to God. And their hearts became hard. They were abusing their position to satisfy their own hunger. And I wonder in the church, it happens today. Where people will abuse their position in order to satisfy their own hunger. Uh, they abuse their position in order to satisfy their sexual desires. It says with these, uh, with these women who are serving at the temple. They had no respect for the things of God. And Eli says, look, you've even, you've rejected the only thing that could possibly save you. Eli says, look, if, if, if you sin against another man, well, God can step in and, and mediate and you can make a sacrifice and you can be forgiven. But when you are mocking the sacrifices of God, what hope do you have? That's your only hope for forgiveness and atonement. And if you mock the very sacrifices of God, you've got no hope for forgiveness. And if you come to church all your life and you mock the very cross of God, it's the same for us that what hope will we have for forgiveness? That's the only means of forgiveness. That's the means God has provided. That's the way that God has made. And so that's essentially what's happening and so there's these boys that they grow up in the temple and yet they don't know God. And it's a disturbing story, I think, because so often we think, well, our time around church is going to help us with that. And it does at times, but it doesn't guarantee it. And that's what we have to be careful about. But it's not really a story about two boys. The hopeful part is it's really a story about three boys. There's another young man in the story. At the end of chapter 2, verse 26, the writer says this, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and men. And the hopeful part of this story is that there's really three boys that grew up around the temple. Hophni and Phinehas were wicked men, but it says Samuel grew up in favor with God and with men. Samuel grew up under Eli's care. Eli wasn't his father, 
but uh, his mother Hannah and his father Elkna had brought him at a very young age and just as they had promised God they said we, are, uh, we want him to serve God at the temple so we're bringing him, we're dedicating him. Much as Pastor Brian and Lori did this morning with Jackson, they brought Samuel. Instead of just dedicating him and bringing him home though, they dedicated him and said let him serve the ward here at the temple. If they only knew about Hophni and Phinehas, I wonder if they would have left him but it was God's care that they were entrusting him to. And so chapter 3, the call, award called Samuel, begins like this. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Listen to these words. The Lord, I believe, has inspired the author to kind of help us understand the situation through the narrative. It says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. And here's what I love about this little passage here. It's so pregnant with meaning and understanding for us. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. It's no accident that the very next line says, One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see. There weren't many visions, and here's a half-blind priest leading the people. And he couldn't see physically, and he couldn't see spiritually. And he's lying down in his usual place, wherever that was, and then this line, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. It means it's probably close to dawn, but it also means, I believe there's a symbolism there that God had not forgotten his people. The lamp had not gone out. The light was not completely out. Though it was dark, though it was dim, it was not completely out. Though Hophni and Phinehas were making a mockery of the things of God, it was not completely out because there's this little light flickering because the voice of God is about to speak again. And it's going to speak to this little boy, Samuel. And Samuel was lying down in the temple, not where Eli was. He was lying down where the ark of God was. The ark was this box that contained the covenant of God, God's promises to his people. And that's where Eli was. Uh, that's where Samuel was, right beside and as close as he could get to the presence of God. And then the Lord called Samuel. And here's the hope starts to flicker. Here's the hope starts to, starts to grow a little bit. And I won't read the whole story, but if you don't know the story, it's a pretty interesting one of how God calls Samuel. He, he calls him Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel thinks it's Eli calling. So he gets up and he says, Eli, here I am. You called me. And Eli, this half-blind man who's not seeing well and not hearing from God, says, go lay down. I didn't call you. Three times this happens. Samuel, Samuel, and he gets up. Eli, yeah, yeah, you called me. And three times he tells him to go sit down, go lie down. Finally, once again he calls and Eli finally understands what's going on. And he says, oh, it's the Lord calling you. Next time, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that's exactly what Samuel does and God speaks to him. He actually gives him a word, a prophecy against Eli and his household that had already previously been given to Eli. Samuel the next morning was so afraid to tell Eli this 
Because who wants to give, you know, your boss bad news, right? God's going to kill you and wipe out your whole family. Would you like to go deliver that news to your boss tomorrow morning? Um, and that's what Samuel kind of had that news God had given him. You know what? God's going to wipe out your whole family. You're never going to have anyone old. Everyone's going to die young. Um, and that's pretty much what God said. But Eli already knew. God said that before. And he told him to tell him. And so he delivered the news. He listened to God. He did the hard work that God had called him. And here's the hope of this boy, Samuel, who grew up in the temple just like Hophni and Phinehas, who grew up under Eli's care just like Hophni and Phinehas, and yet something was different. So what was different? That's my question. What was different? Why was why did Samuel, why was he different than Hophni and Phinehas? What did he do differently? What was different within him that his life trajectory took a different course? What was so special about him that his life did not follow the same course that Hophni and Phinehas followed? Because I want to know that because I want to make sure that I do not fall into the mistakes of Hophni and Phinehas and I am following in the ways of Samuel as he followed God I want, I want to make sure that I, my life is following in that direction. So what was different? What was different comes right in between the passage where Eli rebukes his sons and Samuel is called. It's 2 Samuel chapter 2, the end of chapter 2. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to look at verse 30 and the difference between them. It says, therefore, the Lord God of, God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. And here's what I think is the difference. He says, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. And the difference between Samuel and Hophni and Phinehas is the fact that Samuel chose to honor the Lord and the Lord's ways. And Hophni and Phinehas chose to put themselves above the Lord, to dishonor, to treat with contempt, to disdain the things of God. The difference is that Samuel had a heart that said he would elevate God above and beyond anything else in his life. And Hophni and Phinehas said, we will elevate our desires, our wants above anything else in the world. And so it's this act of honoring God. And so if we look at this passage, we say, what does that mean to honor God? Honoring God is first a recognition that he is Honoring God is first a recognition of his existence. Hophni and Phinehas didn't live as if God existed at all. When we talk about in the Bible where it says honor your father and mother, the first aspect of that part of honor, we could unpack a whole lot of what that might mean, but the first and most basic meaning of that is just identify that they are your mother and father. The first and most basic identification of honor is to say, yeah, that's my mom, that's my dad. They may be messed up. They may be, you know, their life may be a mess. They may be, you know, all messed up and so, but that's my mom. And the first aspect of honor recognizes and identifies. That's my dad. My dad may be messed up. My dad may have done some awful stuff, but, but that's my father. And there's some bit of honor that's involved with that. It's owning up to your identity. When you honor a debt, it's owning up. Yep, that's my debt. I owe it. I'll pay it. 
It's identifying with that. And the first aspect of honoring God is saying, yep, that's God. He's mine. He's my father. That's the God that I serve. And the first thing that Samuel did was he honored God in his heart. So honoring God is putting him before every other relationship in your life. Eli didn't do this. It says of Eli that he failed to constrain his sons. He could not control their actions perhaps. Maybe he could not uh, deny them and should not have denied them as his sons. But he could have fired them from the temple. He could have said, you know what boys? Forget it. You're out. Someone else is in. And he didn't. He rebuked them but he did not restrain them. The Bible says. And there was some aspect of that where he put his relationship with his kids above his relationship and his responsibility to serve God. I think there is still a great temptation in our lives at times to put relationships, parents, to honor children above God. Your role as a parent, if you are one, to raise kids is an extremely important one. It's one that God has given you and you best not let go or abdicate that responsibility. But your role as a parent is not to elevate those kids above God in your life and above serving God in your life. And I think there's a great temptation of making idols out of children, out of family, out of relationships in this world. And Eli, that's his problem. He, he wanted to please his kids rather than serving God. We might, uh, how do you do this? You know, it's, it's, it's making sure you don't elevate your kids above God. It's, having, it's making sure you have and you are leading them. You say, well, all the church teaches them about God. I hope we do. But it's not primarily our job. We're to partner with you as parents or your grandparents or you who are leading and bringing your children or, uh, to church. It's not ultimately our job. It's ultimately you as parents. That's why we come up here with Pastor Brian and Lori and we talk about that covenant you're making to recognize that's an important responsibility that primarily God has placed upon you. I hope we do a good job of it as a church. But primarily, I hope you're doing as parents. Parents say, oh, the, cool, the schools teach them about sex education. Yep, they do. Yep, they do. Probably not the same things the Bible teaches. Whose job is that? Parents, to have those hard conversations. To say, I am not going to elevate your, uh, you uh, above God by avoiding a hard conversation. Or just hoping you get the right information somewhere. To honor God is to have these hard conversations. We're, we're tempted to honor our friends more than the Lord. You know, I remember it. Like I said, growing up in the church, I remember going to school Monday through Friday. And they're like, oh, hey, we're going out Friday night. But I had youth group on Friday night. But would I say that? Or would I just say, oh, I'm busy. I already have plans. Am I really going to tell them I'm going to church? On Friday night? Is there an aspect of that that honors God when I identify with Him as my Father? This is who I am. This is where I'm going. We're at work. What are you guys doing this weekend? We're going to the beach. We're going. I got plans. Or we're going to church because we worship God on Sunday and that's what our family does. 
to honor relationships in this world above God is a great temptation. Where are you honoring a human relationship above honoring God? Is there any place in your life that you are lifting up a relationship with a human, a man, a woman, even your spouse, above your relationship of honoring God? Honoring God means putting God before your carnal, fleshly, human desires. Hophni and Phineas couldn't do it. We're hungry. We like barbecue. We like the fat on the meat. Makes it taste better. God won't care. He hasn't done anything to us yet. They couldn't elevate their, they couldn't elevate God beyond their carnal desires. What are the desires in your life that are tempting where, te- God, where, where you may be being tempted to elevate those desires above honoring God? Good grades in school as a student. I remember there's a lot of pressure for those good grades. There's a lot of pressure to turn around a good grade to do well in an exam, but you didn't study well enough. And that person beside you did and their paper is sitting right there. Temptation to honor my grades and what people think of me above honoring God who would not want me to cheat, would not want me to be disingenuous about what I studied and what I didn't study. Sex was obviously a problem for Hophni and Phineas. It's not a bad thing, though. It's something God created to be enjoyed in the context of a loving, lifelong marriage commitment between a man and a woman, but people try to dishonor it, and they obey their desires more than obeying God. Sex outside a lifelong marriage commitment between a man and a woman, they try it through, it leads to things like pornography and adultery, pedophilia, things like this that go on in our country and in our world. Why? Because people say, well, you know, I don't care what God thinks. I'm going to honor my desire of the moment above what God says. Hophni and Phineas did that. Honoring the Lord means not abusing people or taking advantage of them for personal gain. Hophni and Phineas took advantage of these women that were serving at the tent of meeting. These women trusted them. Trusted them. They're the priests. And Hophni and Phineas abused that trust. We've seen that happen in our day and age, in the church, in other places where people trust leaders, and it gets abused. It's nothing new. It's what Hophni and Phineas did. They abused it. Do I abuse my relationships with people? Is there any place in my life where I am using people rather than loving people? There are places in your life, maybe. If you look at all the relationships in your life, do you only have reciprocal relationships? Do you only have relationships with people where you gain from it? Or do you have relationships with people that are inconvenient where you have to show the love of God to them and it's difficult. Because I think one of the ways that Hophni and Phinehas didn't honor God is they abused the relationships they were in. I think one of the ways we fail sometimes to honor God is we only have relationships that will benefit us. We use people instead of loving them. 
And so we have to be careful about that. We honor God by loving him and loving the people around us. Who are the people in your life that you will inconvenience yourself for so that you might show love to them? Not to abuse people, not to abuse relationships, but to walk in love. And finally, this. Honoring the Lord means staying close and listening to him and knowing him. Samuel was close to God. Samuel was in a place where he could hear the voice of God. He was sleeping next to the ark. He was attentive to the voice of God. He didn't identify it yet because he didn't know it. He didn't know it was God's voice until that point. But honoring God means being attentive and listening to his voice. So the final question for me this morning is where are the places where you are honoring God by allowing him to speak to you? Where in your life have you left a place for God to speak? I think all of us want to hear from God, but we just want to hear on our terms. You know, God, I got two minutes right now. God, I need an answer on this one. God, I got some time in the shower here. Lord, would you speak to me? Because this is the only place I can't use my phone. So they invent one that can be used in the shower and then we'll have to find some other place to talk, God. God, would you, I'm driving and, you know, there's nothing good on the radio. Would you speak to me? God, there's a commercial break. Spend some time in prayer. Oh, wait, I can just fast forward. Never mind. Where are you leaving time to listen to God's voice? Time in your day? Certainly dedicated time. To say, God, speak. Your servant is listening. That's what Samuel said. Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. But not just at the beginning or at the end of your day. That's important. But within your day, to be able to go about your work and to say, God, this is a tough decision. I'm going to take a few minutes out and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to speak, Lord. I'm listening. God, I don't want to make this decision in my own wisdom. God, this looks like a great opportunity. But I don't know if it's from you, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Honoring God means welcoming him into every part of your day and every part of your life and inviting him and expecting him to speak and to lead. Hophni and Phinehas didn't do that. They just followed their stomachs. They followed their carnal desires. And they did not listen to their father They did not listen to God. They just followed their desire of the moment. Samuel honored God by listening to his voice and obeying it in that moment. So where in your life are you listening for the voice of God? And those of you that are teenagers, your students in here, your high schoolers, your junior highers, maybe you're like me. Maybe you've been coming to church all your life. Maybe you've known nothing else on Sundays than sitting in a church, if not this church, a church. Let me just challenge you. At some point, you've got to come to a place where you decide that you are going to follow Jesus. You may have made that commitment as a little child. You may have been baptized in that baptism tank right over there. You may know all about the things of God. 
But I challenge you, if you've never done it, to make sure that you have made the faith yours. That it's not with your, you're not a Christian because your parents believe. You're not okay because your grandmother's praying for you. Your relationship with the Lord is on you being in relationship with Him. Talking with, His Holy, talking with Him through the Holy Spirit. Listening to Him. And if you've never done that, then even as I pray and as I close out our service this morning, I just challenge you to examine your heart. Do you know about the things of God? I know you know about the things of God. You know when to stand. You know when to sit. You know... You probably know, oh, there's a fast song coming. There's a slow song coming. You know when Pastor Brian comes up that, you know, he's going to do announcements and he'll probably say something funny because he has a great personality and you look forward to that. You know when Pastor Rick comes up, he's going to be boring. Uh, (laughs) You know how things run. You know how things run. That's great. But do you know God? Do you know the Lord? When you're at home, there's no music playing. There's no one else watching. What occupies your mind and your heart? Do you know the Lord? And I'd encourage you, if there's any doubt in your heart this morning, to make sure you take that step and to say, God, I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. I know about a lot of people A lot of people on TV, a lot of people on this world, I know about them, but I don't know too many people. There's a big difference. So I'm going to pray. And if you're in here, certainly you don't have to be a student, but I just encourage, I just have a heart for those who grew up in the church. And maybe you're sitting here and you hear all these mighty testimonies sometimes. Maybe Teen Challenge comes in and you're like, oh, drug addict, the alcoholic, they changed their life. God touched them. I don't have that experience. No, you don't. I don't either. I don't have that testimony. That's just not the story God gave me. That's not how God worked in my life. My story is I came to Christ at an early age. I began following him. There's been ups, there's been downs, but I've been a follower of Christ for all that I can remember. And that's my testimony. That's my story. And that might be your story. If you're growing up in this church, I just want to tell you it's a great story. God's faithfulness to you in giving you parents or guardians who led you and brought you to church and brought you up in the church and ministered the grace of God to you and shared the scriptures with you. That's a blessing. That is God's grace. That's your testimony. And don't let anybody steal that testimony from you. And don't let anybody talk you out of that story and that testimony. And those of you who are parents in here, let me just say this last word. Eli got rebuked by God for not constraining his sons. Later in this book, there'll be a word about Samuel. It's only one negative thing I can find in Scripture ever said about Samuel. Only one. And it's later on when he's old and the people come to him and they say, you know what? We love you, Samuel, but your kids are a mess. 
And we don't want them leading us because they don't serve the Lord. It's interesting to me, God does not rebuke Samuel in that moment. And I can't say for sure because the scriptures aren't completely clear. But I think the difference between Eli and Samuel is Samuel did his best to raise his kids in the ways of God, but you cannot make the decision for them. And so you parents that are in here that are blaming yourself or taking it on yourself for decisions your adult children may have made, you can't make those decisions for them. Ultimately, each person comes to a place where they for themselves must decide to follow Jesus, to worship God. And you can make that decision for them no more than God was willing to take the choice away from you. God allowed you to make that choice because he wanted you to freely choose him. And I know you want your kids to follow the Lord. And God wants them that too. And you do your best and you pour yourself out. But can I just set you free a little bit from that guilt you may be carrying around with you? And encourage you just to continue to pray and trust them to the Lord's hands. Because God is in control. God wants them to come to himself even more than you do. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word, the word that shows us the truth, the truth about the capacity within ourselves to become so familiar with the holy that we treat it with contempt, that we lose a sense of awe, to recognize that within all of us there exists the capacity to elevate ourselves above you. But thank you also this morning for the truth through Samuel that reminds us that if we will honor you, that if we will be attentive to your voice, that you will elevate us, that you will honor us, that as we honor you, you honor us, that as we lift you up, you draw us close to yourself. So Lord, I thank you for that this morning. God, and I pray for every one of these students who are in here this morning, junior high and high schoolers who have grown up in this church under my preaching, under Pastor Crosby's preaching, who have been here for many years. Many have made commitments to you, Lord, but I pray, God, that you would preserve them and I pray, God, that they would know you and not just know about you that they would hold on to you and grasp on to you for life and find that you are the living water, that you are the bread of life, that you are the one who gives sustenance, that you are the one where they can find their answers, that you are the one who will walk with them and never abandon them, that you are the one that they can find their identity in, Lord. God, I pray, God, that today you will speak to that teenager who's doubting that you would remind them and show them your love, that you are the God who died and rose again and you love them. Father, I pray for that teenager that's struggling with their self-image, that they would find their identity in you and know that because Jesus died for them, that they are worth it, that they are valuable, that they are loved. 
Father, I pray for the teenagers in this church that are growing up in a culture that is trying to pull them in so many directions. And it's not just like when I was in school where you could leave it at the door and go home. They're constantly faced with it at home, through screens, through everything else. Lord, I pray that you would preserve them and protect them, Lord, and watch over them and embolden them to serve you in their generation. I pray that they would never be ashamed of their testimony of a God who has provided and preserved them amidst this culture. Lord, I lift up the parents today who are doing their best to raise their kids in the ways of God. Would you help them to honor you in their home, to lead them, to guide them? Father, I pray for those who are praying for children who have walked away from you. Lord, would you help them to continue in prayer? Would you bring those children back to you? Would you draw them into your presence, Lord? God, I lift up every one of those children right now in our nursery in our twos and threes class, in our K through two, in our children's church. Lord, would you be with them right now? God, would you be with those teachers who are leading them? Would you grow them up to be mighty men and women of God, Samuels, who will serve you in their generation? Lord, we love you. Help us to serve you well, Lord, and to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and we'll close our service out in a song of worship together.